You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the show where we take a wander around the week in Apple, Apple News, Reviews, Technology, Associated Products and all sorts of other things that catch our eye. This is another episode of The Essential Apple Podcast. Hello everybody, we're back. We are back after the double bonus super length episode from the week with no news. <laughs> I am joined this week by semi-regulars uh, Nick Spligosh Riley. Hello, Nick. Hi, Simon. Yeah, and, it's good to be back. Excellent. And uh, Donny Articha Yankelo. So, hello, Donny. Hello, it's been a while. It has, but there we go. That's all fine. That's all fine. Um, Well, of course, after the week that had almost no news when I recorded with John, uh, there's been a deluge. Of course there has. Absolute tidal wave of stuff. Um, We've had a new MacBook. Ooh, shiny, shiny MacBook. Uh, Apparently with yet another version of the butterfly keyboard. What's that? Revision 4? How many many butterfly keyboards is that now, chaps? I've no idea. (laughs) No, I I think it's 4. I think they did the original and then version B... And then the, at least three. I think they. Yeah, I think this is the fourth. I think this is the fourth one. Anyway, uh, we've had the WWDC nineteen invitations, quote unquote, as they're not invitations, are they? They're an invitation to enter the lottery. Um, and of course, we've had the whole Huawei blacklisting affair uh, and a depressingly long list of security stories, which we might or might not cover. Okay, well, so where do we want to start, chaps? Um. I suppose we should start with the more powerful 8-core MacBook Pro. What's that? That's that's three revisions in a year to the MacBook Pro. Very unusual for Apple to do that, isn't it? Well, I was listening to uh, Cult of Mac, and Erfon Erfon was saying, "I I wanted to say... What? What? Another revision already? You've, you know, obsoleted, not really, but, you know, you've obsoleted my brand new MacBook Pro, <laughs> you know, in only three months, Apple. And then he said, and then I looked in the mirror and said, I've been moaning for years that they don't do spec updates. I can't <laughs> moan at them for doing what I wanted. So I'm just going to have to suck that one up. But um, having been a very long time Mac user, I do remember a period when, you know, spec updates seem to come round two or three times a year. Not necessarily on the same range, as it were, but yeah, yeah. The um, the, the Max would get regular updates, and then it, it fell back. And of late, we've come to the point where sometimes it's you know a year or two years with or more, in some cases, without an update. Um, I mean that's partly because uh, of uh, Intel, isn't it? I mean it's not. It's not just Apple sitting on their <laughs> on their bottoms, not doing anything. It's simply that Intel's roadmap has been quite slow in moving forward. I also think sometimes it's been a case of um, not not only yes, Intel's roadmap hasn't always moved forward at the you know the pace they've predicted, which I guess is just the sort of thing that goes with the territory. But um, yeah, also 
Apple have their own kind of um, release cadence, as it were, and um, Intel haven't always fallen in line with that, have they? Sometimes Apple have released, you know, a new, say, a new MacBook Pro, and then Intel have finally said, like, you know, a month afterwards, oh, well, these new chips are now ready, and then people are like, well, if Apple had waited a month, but it doesn't work like that, really, does it? No. Hence the the midterm updates that tend to just be released by an announcement. So this, uh, anyway, this is a new, uh, more powerful 8-core. I think the last one was 6-core, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so. Um, The vast vast majority of people aren't going to notice any difference whatsoever. It's only going to be people who are doing processing that needs 8 cores. Well, of course, they've also, this one also um, accepts up to 32 gig of RAM which is the thing that uh, Apple were getting yeah. slated for, wasn't it? People were saying the MacBook Pro isn't pro enough because 16 gig of RAM isn't enough. I sometimes think, you know, that we we just think that the bigger numbers are better. <laughs> yes. And there isn't, actually, there isn't actually any reason to... I mean, I'm running this uh, this iMac, uh, iMac I've got here on 8, eight gig, and it's more than sufficient. Um, yeah. I never, I never feel that the machine is slowing me down or or not working fast enough. But then again, I'm not processing video or or doing the things that needs the power. No, I don't. Um... Uh, and I, and I guess the vast majority of Apple users are the same. Um, it's only going to be a fairly small percentage who actually will say, "Oh, eight cores, I've got to have that." Other uh, than those who will just say, "I've got to have that." Because it's the new shiny. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there is a certain element of that. I think you're right that people feel that they must have this super, you know, extra powerful machine. And, yes. and I suppose the more, I mean, it makes sense that if you're putting eight cores in something, then if you are going to be using all those cores, you're probably going to need the 32 gig of memory as well. So, yeah. I it's mean, a good thing. It, it's a good, a good thing. I think it's you know probably the MacBook Pro that pros were waiting for, um, as it were. Although uh, you get a lot of that, a lot of people talking about you know pros and their MacBook Pros. And I think if I was a professional video editor, would I really want to try and do it on a little thirteen-inch MacBook Pro screen? Hmm, that's a good point. Because. You know, I whenever I try and do um, stuff at home on my laptop, like, for example, um, I did a presentation for my uh, Mac user group on uh, Affinity Publisher uh, mm-hmm. in the week. And I have to say that trying to get to grips with it on a little tiny laptop screen is somewhat challenging. For You know, where at work I have a 27-inch uh iMac with a old um, cinema, 21-inch cinema display as a second monitor where I put all my pallets. <laughs> I, would, I, I, would expect, I would expect someone like that would have a monitor like that for their main, uh, mach- main work and just have their laptop as their main machine just so they can take it with them on the go too. Well, yeah, th- there is that. There is that. Um, but I, I just often, you know, people talk about, have all this shouting and I'm thinking... How many pros, um, if if you, you know, I just thought if you spend your life working um, in video rendering or whatever, then surely you have a desktop machine <laughs> and honking, yeah, great, it, yeah. hate, honking great monitors and all the other 
Yeah, Gubbins. because in all honesty, I mean, if you're using a 13-inch or even a 15-inch MacBook, um, they're not they're not in the best position. If you're if you're working all day, <laughs> you want to be sitting upright and uh, with a with a decent size screen. Well, I, in front I'm, of you. I'm just thinking, even if you're going to do the whole uh, clamshell mode, you know, stick it in some sort of dock so that it's yes. it's actually yeah. powering. You're using a real keyboard, as it were. But then you're going to use an external monitor, probably. Yeah, but yeah. but even then. If you, if ultimate power is what you want, is a laptop actually the best way to get ultimate power? I don't think it is. Surely you no. want a desktop. No. Well, because even the processors are laptop processors, aren't they? So they they're not underpowered, but they're yeah, um, they're not the most powerful ones you could designed. get. <laughs> yeah, specifically designed to save power. Yeah. So <laughs> as anyway, opposed to the opposite. Yeah. There we go. Um. So no, it's a good thing. Um. Of course, there were some negative comments I saw on online. People saying, "Well, if you go and take take the you know take it all the way to the max on you know max out everything on the fifteen inch, it'll cost you an eye watering six and a half grand." And it's like, yeah, but it starts at about I think it starts at about thirteen hundred dollars. No one's forcing you to max it out. Exactly. This is one of those. That's like. I, I always think, yeah. yeah, if I... No, it's, it starts at, it says at the bottom of the article, it starts at 17.99 for the 13-inch. Right, 17.99, um, is it? Uh, 2.399 for the 15-inch. You oh, can buy a car for $25,000, but you can get the same car maxed out probably for forty to $50,000. Yeah, well, that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah. I can I can go and buy myself a runaround for, you know, £10,000 or whatever, or I could go to Ferrari and pay an eye-watering amount of money. Right. It's like, no, I don't get that. And I still, I, you know, I still hold up that, yes, I remember the 2FX, thank you, £9,000. Stop <laughs> your whining. Right. Okay. Well, there we go. I think here's something I just found interesting, and that's probably not new news, but I was pricing all the laptops between the Air, the MacBook, and the Pro. And when I taught a high school at high school about maybe ten years ago, these are ninth through twelfth graders. I was always um, I don't know if surprise is right the word, but all the kids would buy the MacBook Pro and I would be like, You don't need that, you know, get the MacBook. It's it's more than enough for what you need. And it's so much cheaper, but there's only a hundred dollar price difference between getting a pro and a MacBook Air now. There's no one thousand dollar or less laptop unless you get a refurb. Yeah, that is yeah. that is a thing, isn't it? I I felt I felt that quite acutely really um started when they killed the white plastic MacBooks. Yeah. Because you know, there were people who ragged on those as cheap or you know, uh, kind of somehow substandard, but I they had great machines. I had several, and I thought they were brilliant machines. And realistically, the part of the reason the price was much less than a pro was because you didn't have to, you know, you weren't paying paying for all that aluminium and whatnot. Um, I, and yes, the, the one they had a big attraction that they were sub a thousand. You know, they were under a thousand dollars, a thousand pounds. Um. And I, I think that was a bit of a loss because they had the original white plastic uh, MacBooks. And then when they brought out the unibody aluminium uh, Macs, they brought out, they revised the, the white plastic one to have a unibody white plastic case, didn't they? Which was more round, like in the style right, right. of the unibody. Um, but there we are. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people feel that, feel that lack of... Um, a starter Mac, if you like. Um, 
there we go. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that there's anything we can do about it. As you say, um, you know, I mean, hopefully the, the, I would, you would think the air would be the starter Mac, but and it, I think it used to be, I mean, you used to be able to get an air for a thousand dollars and the cheapest reefer bouncing is $849, which a reefer from Apple is practically like brand new to begin with. Yeah. Oh yes. Very much. So. Um, but still, I mean, I've just, been saying, I've been saying for a while that I'm, I'm reiterated many times that I feel that Apple is uh, pricing out uh, a group of people. What I think about is when I first bought my first iMac in 2007, it was a stretch to afford it. Uh, But if you compared it to a similarly specced PC, it was about 100 or 200 more. But that's not the case anymore. <laughs> you you can spec a similarly specced PC now, and it's thousands of pounds less. And, and I think that's the difference: is is that at one time when you were buying a, a low end Mac, you were actually buying something that was as good as the best out there, and you were only paying a little bit more. Mm. Uh, and I think the difference is that that gap's grown so that it's now significantly more expensive to buy a to buy a Mac than to buy a a pretty decent PC. That yes, that's true. Yeah, I know, I know you're not talking about the you know. I know you can go out and buy a PC laptop for sort of two hundred and fifty quid, but no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Talking we're not. About that. We're not talking about that kind of you know bottom of the market budget. Yeah. I think. I think if you compared, I think if you compared like for like, you'd probably get. So with this one, for instance, you're talking. It said the lowest price for the thirteen inch was seventeen ninety nine. Mm. I think you could probably pick up uh, an equivalent. Equivalently powered machine for probably around about twelve hundred, thirteen hundred. Yeah, what would, I mean, you're probably Which looking is quite at quite a lot left. What is it? The H is it the HP Elite books? That, um, that sort of thing. That's yeah, all, that or, sort or, of... or or one of the uh, one of the svelte looking uh, PC manufacturers that make you know stuff that looks a little bit like Apple stuff. A little um, bit. Have you been in PC yeah. world lately? <laughs> have you been in pc world you look down the aisle and go I haven't really no <laughs> oh you look at the laptops actually maybe it's changed but the last time i went in there and looked it was like almost a macbook pro almost a macbook almost a macbook pro <laughs> it was like mm. remember when there were the um the colored imax and then all of a sudden every pc was clear and yeah yeah, yes. and yeah. everything exactly exactly you know just like the notch everybody was ragging on the notch and then within three months everybody was bringing out phones with notches in oh but they do say don't they the imitation is the serious it's in serious form of flattery indeed indeed it is um well okay going uh, going along with this new macbook pro um apple have said that this has yet again uh you know another uh refinement of the keyboard um which should make it better. Um, and apparently it uh, part of this um, improvement is this time a change of the material which they make the butterfly switches from, um, which uh, Apple have uh, said is secret, secret. I've read online somebody uh, says that it actually nylon is the secret ingredient. Um, <laughs> right. Well, industrial, you know, engineering nylon is a very, very tough material. Also, it's kind of self-lubricating. You make sliding parts out of it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that, that that could be. Anyway, but to go along with this, uh, Apple are now offering free 
keyboard replacement program for the MacBook and MacBook Pros. Uh, and Well, actually, I read elsewhere. This is on ZNet, this one. Uh, a free keyboard replacement program for the MacBook and the MacBook Pro. I read elsewhere it's any uh, Mac that contains a butterfly keyboard. Oh, right. So not only have they moved it up to a 24-hour repair, they have now admitted that there is a problem, and if you have a problem with your uh, butterfly keyboard, no matter what model uh, you know, or uh, gen of uh, Mac that you have, they will replace it for free. I don't know what they're going to do about people who've already shelled out considerable sums of money, but um, there we are. Maybe they'll do it's, some it's kind of unf- refund. Unfortunately, it's one of those things, isn't it, where someone has a good idea and said, oh, I've made these butterfly keyboards. It's going to be so cool. We'll be able to make them so thin. Mm. And, and everyone said, oh, that's a really good idea. Um, and then as time has gone on, it's, oh, heck, what can we do to make this work now? We can't. We don't really want to redesign the whole computer, all the computers. So, oh, uh, uh, well, maybe we'll stick a little bit of this in. Oh, that doesn't work very well. Oh, well, okay, I, we'll put some dial on in. <laughs> I suspect that the, prob- the problem with it is, is that it's, an, it's probably a brilliant engineering solution. I suspect that, you know, Johnny Ive and his crew spent a long time working on that and to create what is actually a very, very clever switch mechanism um, and you know, shaves the keyboard down to half the depth, which is great for what they want. But unfortunately, I suspect some of these things, you're only going to find out the real-world consequences of reducing the travel in the keys that much in time. That's, r- that's right. That's right. And also, they sort of hadn't really taken into account, had they, the... Uh, the fact that people like me eat my lunch over my keyboard mm. <laughs> and, and end up growing things out of it. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is very, very true. You know, I just yeah. don't think they maybe exposed their test models to, as you say, what was it, as you said before, you know, the Nick test. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, what, what do you mean you're eating your blinking crisp red sandwiches over the top of the keyboard look at the crumbs are going oh no 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 i didn't do it intentionally oh dear i've dropped tomato on it now oh. yeah, exactly you know um nobody eats in front of their computer of course oh, not no nobody does such a thing nor do they you know nor do kids you know do anything remotely like typing on it with fingers covered with salty jam, greasy, yes. greasy jam, fingers jammy jammy fingers <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so there you go. Um, obviously, they added, uh, was it a, a kind of neoprene layer last time in revision three, which appears to have been quite helpful. And it would appear that the revision in this one is to make the switches out of industrial nylon, um, all of which might help. I mean, eventually, I'm pretty sure Apple aren't going to give up on it. It's too too far gone. They, you know, they've committed to it. They're just going to have yeah. to make it work. That said, I suppose, you know, when was the last time somebody came up with a completely new keyboard mechanism? I'm pretty That's sure true. I'm pretty true. sure those in original, um, you know, original mechanical typewriters weren't all perfect and first time out. No. There we go. <laughs> no, you know, they wouldn't have been. By five have been. years from now, there'll be a totally new keyboard or there'll be no keyboard or something. Yeah, That's I, right. say, I think the next stage will be... And, uh, will effectively be keyboards with no real moving parts. I'm pretty sure eventually that's what they're aiming for. Quite how they're going to get there. (laughs) I wonder whether people who type for a living will like that. I don't know. Well, it depends. It depends on how you you can make it feel. What the feedback feels like, yeah. 
It's all so about they do it with the um the phone, like with the um the uh haptic. The home yeah, the haptic sensor. And don't they do that on the um the touchpad now? The um the what do they call it? Well, yeah, the the, the track, yes, the that's track all haptic. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not real, is yeah. it? Well, on the modern ones anymore, it's like the um, like the button on the on the iPhone six, the solid state button, right, that's what which felt like a button right. clicking, but it it wasn't really clicking at all. I don't see why they they wouldn't do that with keys. They can. The only problem with of... that is you'd have to have a. That's an awful lot of haptic engines. <laughs> right, <laughs> they could get very expensive. That could get very, very expensive. Oh, we've got 105 haptic engines in this, and one for each key. Uh, <laughs> As a consequence, we're having, to put, we're having to put a double the price of the MacBook. <laughs> also, yeah. we've had to fit a huge extractor fan to the side to get rid of the heat. <laughs> <laughs> and the Detroiters, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh dear. I'm talking talking about. Um, but nothing will get under the keys that way. That is true. That yeah. is definitely true. I mean, actually, I don't know if I mentioned this. I've got a little um, one of these micro skins on my keyboard. Oh right, yeah. I um, picked it up. I, I think I mentioned it on a show, but I picked it up from Amazon for about seven pounds or something. It's like a micro thin uh, shaped. Yeah, on a neoprene like a layer. Like a, yeah, I know what you mean. And it goes over. And, and you find that's okay. You I do find up. that okay. Yeah, um, it's not perfect. It's not the same as typing straight onto the keys because it's never yeah. going to be perfect. But um, I've found it acceptable, perfectly acceptable, and I do do quite a lot of typing. Yeah, um, fair enough. And it does mean that basic. I mean, it's not going to protect it from everything, but it does mean that you know your basic biscuit crumbs are not going to go in my keyboard. Yeah. Here we are. It's all right. You haven't asked me around yet, Simon, so you're perfectly safe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, you know, it is surprising. You you look down at your keyboard, even when you don't think there's any reason for there to be on it, and you think, why is there all stuff on my my keyboard? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Right. Um, Well, the WWDC 2019, of course, was announced. Hurrah. Hurrah. Like we all didn't know that it was going to come. Um, Third to the seventh (laughs) in San Jose, um, as previously. I'm not going to get into any what, you know, what the WDC will bring us. But um, they'll tell us about some software, definitely. uh, Yes, they'll probably talk about software and developers. (laughs) <laughs> I'll talk about and yes. talk. I'll talk a lot to a lot of developers. Um, the most interesting thing to me was that the uh, quote unquote invitations um, used the same art theme as the It's Showtime event, um, and in that they have the sort of neon line drawings of uh, the robot and the monkey and the skull, and this time a unicorn as well. Um, with the whole, you know, stuff blowing out of their mind blown. Uh, I think that whereas the other one was, um, it's showtime, uh, you know, mind blowing content. This one is write code, blow minds, I believe is the strap line. Um, there we go. I just found that interesting that they'd re re kind of followed on because I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever seen Apple do that. Yes. Cause norm- normally they'll, they go for some, they like people to guess, don't they? Mm. <laughs> yeah. So here's a thought. Maybe, um, so I'm thinking it, they did this to show that the two um, announcements are related, and maybe there's something with Apple TV coming. That is like that, a new, no, like, like hardware-wise, that maybe there's going to be a new Apple TV at WWDC. Hmm, 
I don't know. It's it, it, it's interesting. I just so very unusual. I mean, yes, people always dig into the uh, into the invitations in an attempt to find some sort of clue. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of um, dark mode because obviously these are these neon drawings are on a dark background. Um, so I've just seen one that's got right code blow minds. Is that is that like the underlying theme behind yes. them all? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think because the other one was mind blowing content. I think was the thing for Showtime. Ah, right. Okay. And um, this is right code blow minds. So it's the same thing with the bits all exploding out of the uh, emojis' heads. Oh, I reckon they've done it because it gives everyone so much to talk about. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's yeah. so many different, so yes. many different things in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. And there's all sorts of things. One of them's got like a diamond on, sort of falling off to the bottom left. <laughs> Make of oh, that right, what you will. But then, if you go on to one of the other cards, that slot is taken with a cog. <laughs> ah. <laughs> It'll be interesting yeah. if they um, continue it into the fall events that they have. Maybe they're doing like an annual theme now instead of. A different theme for every event. Yeah. Mm. It's very artistic. Yeah. Clever, isn't it? <laughs> very good. Very good. Uh, there we go. This is sort of related to what uh, John and I were talking about. Uh, Pegatron are apparently moving iPad and MacBook manufacturing out of China um, and to Indonesia. Um, uh -huh. I, well, uh, this was on the cult of Mac. Um, well, it is what it is. I mean, Pegatron are obviously, you know, a massive supplier to Apple, along with Foxconn, um, and apparently they're moving some of their, or, you know, looking to move their factory, some of their factories, to Indonesia. My speculation on that would be the whole, you know, don't keep all your eggs in one basket, and also possibly, of course, to try and mitigate any China-US trade war. Looks like it, doesn't it? Um, and, of course, the, the numbers they man the manufacture of these in aren't quite on the level that uh, iPhones are, so... In some ways, it's easier to move these yes. first. Yes, iPads and MacBooks, uh, I'm pretty sure, well, we know, we know for a fact, are not manufactured at anywhere near the kind of volumes that the iPhone is. So, yeah. Um, the, yeah, um, as you say, all eggs in different baskets. It I, makes sense. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's what John and I were talking about. And uh, it would appear probably that Pegatron are simply trying to protect themselves against uh, US Sanctions, sanctions, tariffs, yeah. whatever you wish to call it. Um, a survey, uh, this is on Redmond Pie, a survey of higher education students uh, says 71% would prefer to use a Mac. There we go. I'm not surprised. That's surprising. <laughs> no, not surprising. Uh, Mac, to that... Macs are very nice. I'm not surprised they wouldn't want one. No, there we go. Uh, just... even, even younger students want Macs. Just from and iPhones and iPads from what I've seen in my years of teaching. Yep, yep. Um, which in, in a way again falls back to the you know the loss of the the white plastic MacBook because that was a kind of ideal you know beginner's Mac, wasn't it? Uh, right. Yeah. Now this or even the eMac. Remember the eMac? Oh yes, the eMac, which was so popular that they finally gave in and uh, allowed ordinary people to buy it. Um, and it was very, very popular here in, in the UK. I At the time, um, I knew a lot of people who bought Emacs because they were like a 17-inch iMac, weren't they? And at the time, yes. they were a lot cheaper than the G4 iMacs that had just come out. Mm. 
because the G4 IMAX, obviously uh, the lamp stand ones, had LCD flat panels, which you know at the time were pretty pricey. So um, there you go. The uh, the um, what, almost the first paragraph of this uh, these figures said that so, so they um, they'd covered two thousand two hundred forty four people across five different countries. Mm. Um, so it's not a huge survey, but uh, but it gives it's indicative, I suppose. Yeah, well, I, uh, at least it's across 70, five countries. 70, yes, 71% of students would prefer to use a Mac, uh, despite the fact that 60% of students actually used Windows PCs. Mm. And of those using a PC, 51% said they would switch to a Mac if the price wasn't an issue to them, which is mm. interesting. Interesting. Oh, but again, what that comes down to, yeah. Well, I'd drive a Ferrari if the price wasn't an issue to me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, i'd I'd have a I'd have um yeah I'd have an iMac Pro fully specced out. Um, yeah. Um, but then again, you know, this mark kind of market research is always trying to say Apple is still an aspirational brand. Yes, it is. You know, yeah, people would like to use a Mac, and even if it means you know, even if sixty percent of the students are actually using Windows, they are aspiring to move to a Mac at some point. So, I guess that's all. That's all good for you know. That's all good for Apple's future. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh this right now. This is an odd one. This is an odd one. We were talking about this before before the show. Apple is facing a class action lawsuit over alleged iTunes and Apple Music data sale. Um, and this is on Apple Insider. Um, this was very strange. The article doesn't really tell you a lot. Some people in New York or New England or somewhere. Um, have Rhode Island. Uh, uh, yeah, Rhode Island. That's right. Um, have started a class action lawsuit uh, saying that Apple is selling um, information about their iTunes and Apple Music, um, you know, their tastes in music, and also a whole load of other information tied to their um, kind of iTunes account. It all seems very odd to me. That doesn't seem in the least bit of an Apple sort of thing to be doing. Um, yeah. and there's, uh, there's a par- I've just read the paragraph in it, which I'm still trying to get my head around. So it says... To support the claim that Apple sells, rents, transmits, or otherwise discloses to various third parties this information, the suit includes details of such information being available to buy. Significantly, the data is not sold by Apple nor limited to it. Yeah. So what, is that, what is that saying? Well, it's saying <laughs> that a third party has is selling information, uh, which is allegedly because uh, they mention also uh, is it Spotify users or Pan- no Pandora? I Pandora. think. Uh, um, which but, again, but to, to draw a conclusion that therefore Apple is somehow giving it away, yeah, or is selling not necessarily it. the case, is it? I don't. If, if there's no direct correlation, no, exactly. Um, I the whole it didn't. Well, it just isn't an Apple thing to be doing, is it? I mean, what as Tim, you know, Uncle Tim says all the time, you know, we make our money selling hardware. Yeah, you are yes. not our product. We don't care about your data because we do our best to not even know what your data is. Um, yeah, there it is... seems a bit seems a bit weird, doesn't it, that they'd spend so much time talking about privacy, which they do all the while, and then give it away. That, that doesn't sound right. No, there is mention in there that um, a developer pointed out to Apple some time ago a bug 
he'd found a bug which allowed um, developers to get that sort of information. Right. Um, i.e. what a user, you know, a user's name, Apple ID, their playlists and so on. So uh, I don't know if somehow somebody extracted a load of that data and then sold it, in which case, yeah, shame on Apple for not closing the hole, I suppose, or, you know, not being aware of it. But at the same time, that's not Apple, is it? So, <laughs> no. You know, um, somebody breaking into your house, stealing your stuff and then selling it on eBay is it's not, not your you house. Selling it. yeah, it's, yeah, not it's not you, not you selling and it's not your house builder's fault, is it? You can't sue the person who built the house because somebody broke into it. Just, no, I don't know. <laughs> just, I'm sure someone's tried or will try. I'm sure. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens with that one because apparently, as yet, Apple have not commented. Um, I'm sure that's because they've got their legal team pouring over the ramifications. But um, they're probably just trying to understand. Yeah, <laughs> what it's going on about. <laughs> um, but yes, the whole I can't really see Apple collecting and selling information about what music you listen to or download or whatever because it's just totally an antithetical to what they say they stand for yeah so i don't know about that one we'll see where it goes we'll if it goes anywhere if it goes anywhere um there's another short one here um angela arentz says uh, mission accomplished and denies reported criticisms uh, this was on apple insider um well guess what angela has said what uh, pretty much what we Thought when she left, when she left Apple, um, I remember discussing it probably with you, Nick, where yeah, we I said, think we I think we, yeah. we probably pretty much said, I think she's done what she came to do and uh, feels that time, it's time to move on. And now she's effectively, explicitly said so. She described, uh, you know, leaving Apple as mission accomplished. There we are. Um, right. Well, we've been going a fair while. So I think we should go over to uh, John in his hardware store while we uh, possibly refresh our beverages and uh, we'll be back shortly. Today we're really going to wish we had a video podcast instead of audio because we are reviewing the Catalyst C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T waterproof 20 liter backpack. Comes in black. It arrives in a nice snug little pouch. Very, very compact. Pull it out of the pouch. This is $120 in the U.S. And Simon will have the international links for it in our show notes for this episode on Essential Apple. So excuse any commotion because we are now going to put a towel inside it. Very, very lightweight, thin bath towel in there. Oh, there's room for two of them. Great, let me get another one. It's quite spacious, more than I thought. There's a zipper pocket on the front and two really good water bottle stretchy pockets on the side. Now this pack is really loaded, actually bigger than I thought it was. And then I snap the snap shut over the rain flap that goes over the roll area. I have to find out more about that later on. Put it on my back. Let's see, how does it feel? Oh, there is a chest strap, which is nice. Very stretchy, very, very lightweight. Let's tighten it up. Extremely thin tightening straps. I hope they hold up, but Catalyst is a very good company, known for top quality waterproof products. I have a Catalyst case on my iPhone that I'm recording with right this moment. Put the chest strap on here. 
It's secure. Let's look in the mirror, see how I look. Oh, I see. It's a very stylish black ultralight pack. The only question I'll have to ask the company about is that small rain flap at the top. But as an actual carrying backpack with a light load, it's pretty good. Now let's put it to the test. Let's go outside here. Get my hat on because I'm in Arizona and it is sunny. Always want to be careful about sun exposure. I'll walk over to the faucet here. Chest band off. Take it off my back. Set it here on the ground. Turn on some water. See how waterproof this baby is. Okay, I'm spraying it with water. beads up. I'll need to practice a little bit more with rolling that top, but I'm sure I can find out how to do that. Some of the reviews said that the front zippered pocket was not as waterproof as the inside, so we'll just have to take their word for that. Now let's take it for a dip in the pool. Put my wrist strap on. The Catalyst case comes with a wrist strap on my iPhone. So let's dip this black case right in the pool, because I gave it a good drink with the hose to simulate a good rainstorm. Now let's really, I'm not going to submerge it, but I'm just going to kind of push it around inside the pool, not all the way up to the very top because it says don't submerge it completely but it's getting a nice good dip the water just beads up rolls right off it how about that okay set the phone down unroll the rolled part it was totally dry inside i don't even need a towel to dry the towels that are on the inside so what we learned is for 120 dollars, which is a premium price you get an ultra light ultra waterproof unusual roll top design it's comfortable and it can stow anywhere you can take it with you in case you get caught in a storm if you're cycling or hiking or just out and about going to school going to work or wherever you happen to go and i think we will stock a few of these at nemo's hardware store let's see how they move at that 120 dollars price tag and we will have more to report on this product after we take it out into a rainstorm, which will probably take place later in the summer. So we'll be back again soon from Nemo's Hardware Store with more great gear from Catalyst and other companies. Thank you, John. And as ever, of course, all the links will be in the show notes. And, uh... Of course, if you're going to buy anything from Amazon, don't forget we have a big red button on the website, which uh, if you use that and then go to Amazon and buy something, hopefully we should get a small kickback as a thank you. Uh, There we go. Um, So, what shall we have a look? We shall move on, I think. We shall move on. Well, the big technology story, of course, is uh, Huawei and the uh, blacklisting debacle. Isn't it? It is. Um, it seems to get more and more complicated by the day. It, it does. It does get more and more. I mean, the the original uh, explanation was supposed to be that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the US uh, administration, shall we say, have been conducting, as we know, uh, a fairly aggressive attack on China, uh, certainly in the, you know, trade arena um they've also been conducting a bit of a campaign against huawei saying you know that huawei should not be um allowed to uh, supply parts of the 5g um infrastructure in um the us and uh, they've kind of leaned on the uk to the same uh end uh they've banned the use of huawei um produced products by like for example the u.s military um don't forget huawei do a lot more than phones 
you know, Huawei, right. uh, yeah. um, like Nokia, you know, their original, um, their core business was in telecoms. It's it's infrastructure, routers, and um, all that sort. Yes, because the UK are talking about the 5G network, aren't they? Yes, and whether or not Huawei should be allowed to, you know, um, bid to construct large parts of it. Yes. Um, and the the US have then said, uh, we believe that Huawei are, you know, effectively spying for the uh, People's Republic of China and we're going to blacklist them, which has quite a lot of implications in its own, you know, in the political sense. Mm. But in the technological sense, um, it brings up a whole load of other issues because, first of all, Google, you know, first of all, uh, the US just said, uh, you know, Huawei are, are blacklisted. Then Google said, well, we can no longer support uh, Huawei. So, you know, they would not be able to have access to the Google store and the Google services. Um, now, in China, I don't think that would actually affect Huawei all that much. I mean, they could fork Android themselves. Uh, yeah. China has all its own services. It has its own app stores and its own maps. And, you know, I mean, Google isn't even allowed in China. So in China itself, I don't think that would have a huge effect, although obviously it would probably cripple their sales in the West. Um, but then it got more complicated because uh, Arm said, we can't deal with you anymore. We can't supply you with uh, chips. Or, well, not, you know, with the designs for chips, because ARM don't actually make any chips, do they? They design the chips. Yes. Um, yeah. But they, they won't allow them a license to they won't, they operate. Said, and, um, so, yeah, so then the, the thing came back, why Why is that, right? Why um, ARM denying Huawei access, you know, future access? And ARM came back and said, we, uh, you know, our hands are tied because some of our intellectual IP uh, comes from the US and therefore if we deal with you we could find ourselves on the wrong end of the US administration um and then it gets into you get into the realms of despite being a chinese company um and making you know effectively chinese phones they still have you know some of their components are from the US um yes and I, 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 most of them are going to have arm licensed property in them as it were yes exactly so yeah. It uh, also says in this article that uh, two British carriers, EE and Vodafone, have said that they won't offer Huawei phones for on 5G. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, yeah, it's not just it, – it's it's multiple companies, isn't it, that are saying they can't really – I mean, basically, it's that they can't <laughs> – they rely on America so much, they can't really stop yes, putting uh, America what, you know, what, what Yes, what most of these companies who effectively – uh, saying they can no longer deal with Huawei, and it's not uh, like uh, they're not saying we think you are a bad actor and we do not wish to deal with you. What they're saying is we cannot risk um, retaliation from the US. Yeah, if we continue to deal with you. Um, I, I mean, in some ways, Arm's a little bit of a funny one, isn't it? Because isn't Arm owned by a Chinese consortium now? I've no idea. I've no idea. I mean, I, uh, Arm I originally was, was, was come out it was British. of Acon and was a British yeah. company. Yeah, yeah, no, but they sold. They sold some within the last couple of years. They've sold, um, and I thought it was a Chinese consortium. So it's a little bit weird. Anyway, it's not. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they still have to work in the West, of course. Yeah, um, and it's not. It's not the Taiwan 
group though, is it? TMSC? Oh, uh, uh, it might be. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we're, I'm going out into left field there. Um, but uh, what it highlighted more than anything else, I think, is just how global this 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 stuff is. Actually, people look at Huawei as a Chinese company making Chinese phones in Chinese factories with Chinese components, but they're no more wholly Chinese than an Apple iPhone is wholly American. This stuff, yeah, is, well, that's right. Yeah. This stuff is traded international, internationally between huge companies who specialise in create. You know, so you've got to some extent. Same with Apple. Apple stuff comes from all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah, all of the bits. It does. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's assembled by Foxconn and Pegatron and whatnot, but not all of the components are manufactured in China in Chinese no. factories. There are lots of other bits that go in. I mean, for you know, we know for a fact, don't we, that they use Samsung screens. So Samsung screens are manufactured in Korea and then have to be shipped to Shenzhen. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a complicated mess, really, isn't it? It's, it um, I've, just looked at, I've just looked up ARM, by the way, and uh, they're owned by SoftBank, which is Japanese. Ah, Japanese. Okay, there we go. There we go. So yeah it's a it's a it is a hot mess um and then of course you have the whole thing of whether or not you are prepared to take the initial premise that Huawei are a bad actor who you know mm. do stuff on behalf of the Chinese government and um well, I don't think that's, that's true. hard hard to know isn't it <laughs> one I, way or another I but then if I mean if they did if they what I'm saying is they can't be blatantly backdooring every device they make because that would... No, because people would discover that, wouldn't they? People would know. Yeah, so of course it, they would. Then if you say, oh, but they might be putting backdoors in certain critical uh, components which, you know, of things which uh, maybe they could use at a later date uh, against, say, the US in, you know, some weird scenario, then you could say but I could probably point to any other company anywhere in the world mm. and say, how are you to know that they are not being coerced by their government in order, you know, to do it? I mean, it's, it's obvious, isn't it, that this is quite political. It's all politics. And, uh, it's, 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 it's politics. It's not really um, based upon clear facts. It's based upon supposition and... Um, I, I think a lot of it's based upon, um, you know, outright fear-mongering, to be yes. honest. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too political, but I am pretty sure that Mr. Trump has a distinct and obvious bias against the Chinese in all situations, and uh, for some reason, you know, thinks that he can bring them down by sanctioning them. And uh, I think he's very wrong. That doesn't mean doesn't mean I you know think that the People's Republic of China is the best place in the world. <laughs> no, but no. Um, those two those two things are mutual, can be mutually exclusive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, I don't you know I don't have to um, agree with a politician um, to think that throwing a brick at him is wrong. Um, which is a bit like the whole you know i don't want to get into politics but the whole milkshake thing um whilst somewhat amusing is also somewhat disconcerting because if somebody if throwing a milkshake is acceptable then what's the next one a bottle a brick bomb um there we are 
So, uh, uh, for, uh, by the way, for Donny, because <laughs> he probably wonders what we're talking about. Yeah, one of one of our politicians got uh, had a milkshake thrown at them last week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, several of them did actually. It became a bit of a thing, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a thing. I I did particularly like the report about one of them where they, after saying that you no know, so and so was arrested for throwing a milkshake over Mr. Nigel Farage, they then went on at great length about what milkshake it was and where he bought it and how much it cost. <laughs> <laughs> and that it was a banana and salted caramel. And <laughs> I was like, really? Right, okay. Um, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, yeah, the danger, politics alert. Um, <laughs> um, Adobe have apparently warned customers of potential legal action if they continue using older versions of Creative Cloud apps. And this kind of ties into the, the thing that we were talking about where, you know, Adobe had withdrawn older versions of CC apps from your available download list. Um, it would appear that in some older versions, they were using technology which, you know, they had licensed and the licenses have now expired. Um, oh, that's a bit awkward. Yes. Um, this is another, another strange one. Yes, it is. What if you're on a, on a machine that doesn't support a newer version, but you're now you're stuck? You switch, now yeah. you, you switch to... Affinity or I think, or uh, yeah, well, definitely, definitely, very much so. Um, I, I think, let's face it. In reality, if you are, you know, one of us, and you have an older machine, and you are using, oh, I don't know, Creative Cloud twenty fourteen or something, I don't think the police are going to come knocking on your door. <laughs> no, right? No. Um, I don't think whoever licensed Adobe, um, you know, some piece of code that's in there um is going to come banging on your door demanding you stop doing it um but simon but simon haven't they got adobe 2014 detector vans probably probably <laughs> um you know realistically it, it it's a bit of a odd story i guess it's part what it is is as far as i can see is it's adobe trying to explain in a kind of backhanded manner why they've stopped offering downloads of older versions. It's a, it's a weird way to do it, though, by saying you could get sued if you're still using these older versions. Yeah. It is, it is Creative Cloud, though. And I thought the whole point of the cloud was that your apps get updated automatically. Well, you, but maybe maybe I don't understand. Well, no. You, I, I don't use it either, but I would think if your machine is too old, it won't update it. Well, well that's true. The newer version. You can... The main idea is yes that you can you keep up to date automatically. You you can download the latest versions as they're released, right? And, you know, and there's a continual stream of updates. But until recently, if you went into your you know uh, creative cloud management thing, you could download sort of you know 2019 latest release, 2019 previous release, you know 2018 final release, 2018 first you know 2017 yeah you could download i don't know i don't know how many it was um as i explained you know we're still using an older version of indesign because yes. we have some machines which would probably not be able to run 2019 and That's um, fair enough. Yeah. in indesign is the pretty much the only app we use now where you're working on effectively you know live files if you're working on indesign documents you have to work in indesign um, yes. If you create something in Photoshop, it doesn't matter what version of Photoshop I use on my machine. I can close it 
and hand it off to, you know, the office junior. And if he wants to make an edit, he can still open that in whatever version of um, Photoshop his machine will run. Um, yeah. But that doesn't work like that with InDesign. You all have to be running the same version or you'll get the endless thing of, I can't open this version because it says my version is older than your version. Oh, uh, right, yeah. So we all so have wonder to... If, um, I wonder if the uh, license agreement for a creative cloud that everyone just clicks through and doesn't read has a stipulation that this could potentially happen down the road or if Adobe's in for a big lawsuit another mm, from a I, bunch of users. Who knows? Who knows? Uh Yes. <laughs> I mean, we had a huge, we had a huge discussion in, in the Slack, didn't we? It, it, it kind of, um, I think it was this story that led to the whole was. Um, kind of Adobe alternatives. Um, and of course, earlier on, I, I mentioned um, Affinity Publisher. And um, part of the reason for that is, uh, although I use Creative Cloud at work, and I used to have easy access to Creative Cloud at home, because we had a, you know, a spare slot, as it were. Um, we no longer have a spare slot. They're all taken in the office, which means using it at home involves a lot of signing in and signing out and getting a two-factor authentication code and all sorts of other jiggery-pokery. So I thought, well, to be honest, I think it's time I moved away from Adobe at home. So um, I got Affinity Photo um, first, which it is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it is so like Photoshop. It's, well, that's it. It's so like Photoshop. You don't even have to think about it, really. Um, it's, it's strange you should say that because I was talking to someone um, at church yesterday who um, used Photoshop when she was, she, she took a, like one of the a computer training course, you know, a design, a design uh, right. training course. Uh, she's retired. And uh, and she said that she, she suddenly real didn't think she could justify continuing to pay a regular amount out to Adobe. Uh, and several of the people in the group that she's in recommended affinity photo. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, and she said, and it's great. And it's, you know, it's, I can do almost everything I want. It's just like Photoshop. <laughs> it is just like Photoshop. Um, yeah. And it supports Photoshop brushes and, you know, you can bring in your layered PSD files and, and it's, yeah. Yeah. It's really good. What's, um, what's, just, go ahead. What's really bizarre about this, um, reading a bit more into it, is that, that Adobe seemed to have lost the license to part of what they were distributing, mm. which is a bit strange, isn't it? Yes. Well, I guess they maybe had some kind of, I don't know, you know, because they're so vague about what it is. If they told you specifically, you know, it's like yes. when, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like um, when Apple had the Rosetta, technology yes right they had um for several os versions they had the rosetta technology which allowed um was it intel machines to effectively handle uh power pc coded it was yeah apps yes. i think and they after several i don't know however many versions it was three or two or three os's updates i think they brought one out and it was like, this doesn't have Rosetta in it. And of course, there were some people who were up in arms saying, how dare you pull the Rosetta support, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, it's not our technology. We licensed it. Oh, we, li right, okay. right? we licensed that technology from, you know, Rosetta Inc. And um, we licensed it for, you know, like four years or five years, whatever it was. And that's expired. And to be honest, we've been telling you 
you know, if you're still using PowerPC apps five years after we stopped doing it, um, hard luck, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, so I, I suppose the difference is, is that Apple wasn't telling people you need to stop using Rosetta in your older machines or you're going to get sued. No, that is true. No, they uh, didn't. Yeah. They simply they simply pulled, you know, it was so, simply no longer available on, um, you know, on their new OS because the time, you know, the license that they'd taken out with Rosetta has expired. And I assume that they they probably, you know, quite perfectly, unbelievably, was like, well, we don't need to do this forever. Right. You have to move on at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's a bridge, and after so much time, you know, all the apps should have been redone purely for Intel. So, I like this. Um, there's a there's a tweet in the middle of this article. It says, "I just got an email from at Adobe that I'm no longer allowed to use the software that I'm paying for. Time to cancel my subscription, I guess." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suspect they're going to lose a lot of um, customers. I mean, not enough to to put a dent in it, but um, a lot of customers that are like the small person using the old software i mean like we said the odds are of someone coming knocking on your door if you're using this old software it's probably slim but do you want to take that chance if your whole business depends on running this software on an older machine when you can go out and just buy something like affinity for i think it's 50 bucks or something and not even worry about it exactly well you know as i say um i i got affinity photo um Obviously, I'm on the Affinity Publisher beta, um, and uh, I last this week actually I gave a, a demonstration of Affinity Publisher beta to my Mac user group, and um, that brought up a you know a lot of discussion about Adobe uh, alternatives as well. And um, Affinity it very much seems to be uh, getting a real foothold. Uh, and and not just with home users. Um, you know, our chairman is a professional theatre photographer, and he said that you know he thinks Affinity is absolutely amazing and probably worth you know way more than the fifty pounds he paid for it. That's, that's what I was going to say. Not only is it a great alternative, it's affordable. I mean, a, even before the Creative Cloud, Photoshop, Illustrator, they're expensive. Oh just yeah, to buy outright. You know, it, it's, it's fifty bucks. Yeah, fifty bucks, fifty or forty pounds, I think, in the UK. Um, and which is which is affordable in the old scheme of things before we had, you know, app yeah. stores and things. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, and and of course there are other there are other alternatives as well. You've got your Pixelmaters and you've got your you know Skylum, um, Luminar, that sort of thing. Um, so and all that Affinity Photo and Designer for the iPad, which is I think that is true. Bucks, I want to see say, and both of those are just as are fantastic. Also, they are indeed. They are indeed. Um, I don't have a I don't have an iPad, but again, uh, people I know who've tried it, uh, you know, rave about it. I haven't. I've I've now picked up um, Affinity Designer to sort of you know, uh, complete the trifecta. But um, I, I haven't really experimented with yet. I suspect that's the one which is likely to be Illustrator. the least like Illustrator. Um, the publisher, you know, if you're used to InDesign or Quark Express or any other half-decent desktop publisher, then you will feel immediately at home with the um, Affinity publisher. Um, I haven't looked at the designer yet. Vector drawing apps can be a bit odd. Let's just put it that way. Um, I think I said this in the Slack. I don't remember, but... Um... 
I've tried tons of the Illustrator type of apps for the year, and Affinity Designer was the one I used that was most like drawing in Illustrator. Right. Yes, and I the, think you did. You did say that. Yes, you are right. It was you. You did the put tools, that. The tools act the way they would act in Illustrator, where other ones where I've tried, when you try to do something, it doesn't do what you think it would do. That's but right. in Designer, they it does what you think what you're used to if you're an Illustrator user. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think that's, as I say, I haven't really experimented with the designer yet, but I, I am no doubt I will get to grips with it. Um, well, what this, in this week, this week, um, there was a sudden amount announcement from Panic, wasn't there? Panic Software, um, came out of, totally out of left field. Um, uh, Weihan posted about it as well, I think, saying, you know, why a gaming company that kept producing weird Mac, um, Weird Mac utilities has suddenly come out with a gaming device. Um, because he's, he, yes, Panic Software. He, he said the name made him think that they were a game developer. Of course, they're not. They're the makers of people like Transmit and uh, various other utilities. Um, they've announced this tiny little thing called Playdate. Um, it's Just yellow. Yeah, it's yellow. It fits in your pocket. It's got a beautiful black and white screen. It's not super cheap, but not super expensive. Includes brand new games from amazing creators. Plus, it has a crank. Um, and it looks a bit like a Game Boy, I'm thinking. But smaller and thinner and cooler. Um, and yes, <laughs> I mean, my immediate thought was that, oh, a crank. It's like, you know, no charge. You wind it up. Wind the handle to, you know. But that's not what it does. It doesn't. You don't power it with the crank. The crank is actually um, the interface, almost one of the control, one of the control mechanisms. Because it's got your your sort of typical cruciform, you know, joypad. Yes. And two buttons, and then this little um, crank on the side. How, how bizarre! It's a very. <laughs> I said before the show, it looks like something you'd find on Kickstarter. Yeah, it does. Um, but they've got a whole load of people. Um, the First, I, I think you're going to get a free game every week for the first 12 weeks over the air if you buy this thing. Did you scroll down to the, like, near the bottom of the page? They have a vid, I guess it's like a video of one of the games and the cranks turning. And, I mean, the, the, the graphics aren't too impressive for, I don't know what the price of this is going to be, but... $150. It looks like a, a, what would be a free iOS game, the thing I'm looking at. Yes, it's a light wireframe thing, isn't yes. it? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit strange, really. <laughs> I don't see it taking off. Then it's not going to put a dent in the Game Boy business. No, and yet, but the, the the net went wild. The net has gone absolutely wild. I mean, John Gruber was like, you know, this is amazing. I, I don't know. It just, I guess maybe people are, are, are jazzed by it because it's new and well, it's a bit different. A bit different. Yeah. Different. Yeah. It's a bit different. I, I mean, won't be buying one. Yeah, it's a bit. I d I don't know what to make of it. Um, there we go. It is a slightly. Uh, what's it say here? It's twelve brand new video games, one each week. We'd like to keep the games a secret until they appear on the play date. We want to surprise you. Some are short, some are long, some are experimental, some are traditional. Um, now, what did you want to know? What the games would be like before you shelled out a hundred fifty dollars? Yeah, probably. I'd want some idea of what it's going to be like. Yes. Mm. It's um. Oh, well, good luck to them. Well, yeah. I'm not sure what they're gonna. Well, the thing so, is, some people are gonna buy it, aren't they? Some people are gonna buy it just to try it. And... Yes. Right. Um. Some people are going to try it, buy it just to try it. Um. I guess the 
you know, it's panic software. If the thing doesn't, you know, doesn't really succeed, I don't I mean, I don't suppose they're betting. They're not, you know, it's not a bet. We're betting the company on this. If it doesn't. Right. Bravo does, for them for trying something different, right? Yeah. And it, it's like, if it doesn't, if it doesn't fly, as it were, then I guess they'll just be disappointed, but it's not going to end the company. And, you know, maybe who can tell? Sometimes these things just catch on, don't they? You know what I mean? Well, the other question would be is how much are the games going to cost when they do start charging? Well, yes, that is true. Um, based on the, you know, based on the kind of thing, I would assume that they're not going to be shockingly expensive. Um I'm guessing it's going to have a subscription. Possible. That's possible, I suppose, that um, there'll be a, you know, a subscription type of uh, service. I don't know. It's, uh, I really don't know what to make of it. Um, it's well, almost... Crack, it says the crank came from our friends at Teenage Engineering. Mm. They were our partners for Playdate Design. Hmm. Hmm. I, who can I'm say? Fascinated because, to know if it because it might. I mean, who knows? It could become a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Some of these, well, yeah, you know, some things just do, don't they? Out of out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, yes, as it were. We'll make a note in a year from now. Come back to this conversation and uh, yes, and see yes, if, we'll, it's got if it, it exists it, or where it is. Or yeah, it's going to be you know whatever happened to the playmate uh, or play date or is it um or how many of us actually own one and can't stop playing it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes indeed indeed i sold my mac last week to buy a play date yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess i can see at 150 dollars i can see a lot of people in you know in that in our sort of sphere, so you can imagine people like Gruber and Marco and, you know what I mean, all rushing out to buy one. Um, I guess it's got a kind of but certain that's amount. That's not going to make uh, success. I mean, if the games are like phone games, why would you want to carry around something like this mm. when you can just do it on your phone also? Depend. It will all, yeah, that's true. It will <laughs> all depend on the content. That's the truth. Uh, and you won't have a crank if you're using your phone. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All twelve Virtual games crank. in season one will be included, no extra charge. So it's possible after that you'll have to sign up, I guess, for you know x number of games at a time. Who can say? Uh, well, uh, good luck to them. Uh, you know, yeah. nice to see somebody who's you know kept doing something a little different. I suppose whether it's a little fly, bit out of the blue. Whether it will fly, I suspect, will depend on the quality of the games. Um, or, or, yeah, what do you mean? If they're really bad, people will throw them. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the games aren't any fly. good, the novelty is going to wear off. And then when they say, you know, do you want to pay us, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, $25 for the yeah. next X number of games, people are probably going to go, hell no. You know, if the games are great and, uh, you know, amusing and uh, entertaining, then people will probably carry on. Maybe so. We, as we, yeah, Donnie's right on that one. That's one to come back to, I guess. Um, what else? Um, not a huge amount, really. Uh, apparently, there is now um, check for issues before installing a Windows 10 update. Uh, CNET. Apparently, there is now a website, uh, I guess, provided by Microsoft, which will warn you of potential um, issues with, you know, a new Windows 10 update release. Check for useful. Uh, yeah, basically, I know it. You know, I'm not being sarcastic here. Um, that's not a bad thing for any company to be providing. 
because you know no update to anything is perfect on everybody's equipment no that's right you know apple have had a few of their own haven't they where certain users have found that, that you know a certain update to ios or mac os causes havoc unexpected havoc on certain combinations of hardware um so not a bad thing um there we go um and i this isn't in the show notes but i did see apple have agreed with um some european uh, body that in future uh, iOS releases will come with uh, you know a relevant warning that it might slow down your device if you are on a you know older device. Oh yes, I saw that as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a bad thing. No, I assume in the same way that they will be. You know, if you have you know if you have the lowest device supported by this update, it may cause you know a, a slight loss of performance. In case you were really dim and didn't bloody already well know that. <laughs> Are you hard of thinking? Um, there we go. Uh, right. Uh, and the last bit, really, of course, is we've got security and privacy. Um, I'm you not know, even I was gonna... just looking over all the headlines you released. You put it in the show notes for this section. Yeah. You should just, just rename this section, what company leaked what this week? Yeah, <laughs> who leaked what? Yeah, um, WhatsApp apparently uh, discovered a, a targeted surveillance attack. Um, Snapchat uh, employees were spying on people by misusing internal tools. Shame. Uh, San Francisco is the first US city to ban facial re- recognition technology um, on the BBC News. That's a, a little bit more. Um, interesting. And California mm. Senate may ban facial recognition tech in body cameras for police on Engadget. Um, there we go. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not 100. Conv- I mean, I saw a, 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 a bit of video this week of the Welsh police using facial recognition um, and getting very um, well surrounding basically a guy because he didn't want his face taken. Yes. Um, I mean, there are questions that aren't there around civil liberties. I mean, you really should have the right, if you don't want your face to be taken, you, you should have the right to hide your face if that's what you wish to do. Yes, well... Now, <laughs> let, me, let me clarify that. In a public place, if you were going into a building uh, and uh, in the same way as, you know, during the, uh, the uh, troubles with Ireland, we would often have our cases and things searched when we went into buildings, I'd be quite happy with my face being taken for security reasons in a building, but in the street? I mean, the the thing in the UK, if you're in a public place, you're probably being filmed anyway. Um, but really, if you want to hide your face from that, that's perfectly up to you, and you should be able to do that. <laughs> um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It is. Um, well, it, the other co- of course, the other problem is at the moment is that these technologies, you know, highly unreliable. Yes, and yeah, lots of false negatives and all that. So, you know, um, yes, the the uh, somebody mentioned, I think it was Mac Jim mentioned in the Slack room, the one you were talking about, where um, apparently they were using, you know, whether they were testing or demoing some sort of uh, facial recognition technology, and a guy covered his face and they basically arrested him. Well, he's not done anything. Well, yeah, it was quite intimidating the way that they surrounded him and 
badgered him basically. Why I mean, don't you I, want I this to? Was, yes, that's. Um, I it was very poor. <laughs> that's distinctly. That's distinctly. You know, 1984, isn't it? Big brother. It is. You know, how it's dare it. you move away from the uh, surveillance tools? Um, mm. So San Francisco has, is banning it, and California um, are talking about banning it. Google has had to recall its Bluetooth Titan security keys because they have a security bug in them. Oh, dear. That's a bit embarrassing. Just a little bit, isn't um, it? Yes. Our Titan security key will keep you safe with two-factor authentication and stuff, except it doesn't work properly. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, there we go. Uh, 33 Linksys router models are, are leaking the full historic record of every device ever connected to them. Um, on Ars Technica. Um, oh, dear. <laughs> Another disaster um, there. Um, and uh, a bug hunter. This is bad news for Windows, this one. A bug hunter has revealed another make me admin Windows 10 zero day floor uh, and vows there's more where that came from. Um, and I believe subsequent to that headline, the uh, that person has released at least two more um, Windows zero day um, floors. Ho-hum. And uh, if you really want to get depressed, uh, there's an op-ed in the New York Times called The Internet Security, Security Apocalypse You Have Probably Missed. Um, don't read that unless you uh, <laughs> are in a fairly good mood and prepared <laughs> to become read, depressed. To bed don't, <laughs> don't read this if you're already feeling a bit out of sorts because, yeah, you'll probably want to go away and drown yourself or something. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah no it, that's another depressing piece um unfortunately that you're right the security and privacy section has become a litany of misery <laughs> <laughs> unless you don't really care about your privacy in which case who cares yeah that's right that's right indeed <laughs> um i've got um kind of uh some worth of chirps uh I'm not sure who posted this. There's um, an, a Mac OS tool which will automatically open Apple News links in Safari uh, or Safari Technical Preview, if that's your preferred uh, option. This is on 9to5Mac. Um, I've got a direct download link in the things as well, which uh, it's LapCat software and it's on um, GitHub. Um, I've downloaded it. Um, I've said before, I, I like Apple News. I really use Apple News on my on my phone a lot. Um, and Apple News on the Mac is okay. And it's okay for browsing. This is the thing. I like Apple News as a way to browse through stories. It's not necessarily the greatest way to read the stories. Um, and on Mojave, as I said when, when, when I first discovered this, you can't, um, if you take an Apple News link and paste it in Safari, it will just take you back to the news app, um, which yeah. forced me to use a third-party browser in order to get to the original stories. Um, what this Stop the News does is register itself as the default handler for Apple News links, um, and effectively, when you click an Apple News link, this little app will open, grab the source URL, and post it into uh safari for you so there you go um cool it is cool it's free it's just a little thing um it's nice because it means i can browse stories uh on apple news but i can if i wish follow apple news links in safari rather than having to 
you know, use a third-party app. Um, my other worth of chirp, uh, B-Light Software, uh, Amadine, which is their vector drawing app, has left beta. Um, it's now £20 in the Mac App Store or $20 US direct from the, from the link. Uh, you can also get a free trial on the uh, Amadine page. So uh, that's, that's not... Um, that's not an Illustrator competitor. That's not up in the same bracket as Affinity Designer. But it's no. a nice, it's a nice little uh, vector tool. And and it's kind of like a get your feet wet, kind of. Yeah, and you know, as we as we talked about in in the Slack room, you know, there are reasons, there are horses for courses. Those of us who, um, you know, are, are used to that sort of level of complexity from Creative Suite would find something, you know, we find something like Affinity Publisher with its hundreds of palettes and hundreds of tools um, welcoming because it, you know, has everything we're used to. Um, a beginner would look at it and probably throw up their hands in horror. Yeah. You know, they would be better off with something like Swift Publisher, which, whilst very powerful, is nowhere near as complex. Because they've stripped away a lot of, you know... That's right, lots of hand-holding. Lots of stuff. Well, yeah, and there's an awful lot of things that, you know, people who are starting out probably don't really care about very much. The ability to alter the spacing between individual letters, you know, by um, fractions of a... <laughs> you know, fractions of a space at a time is lovely for professionals like me and probably of no interest whatsoever to somebody who wants to make posters for their local jumble sale. Um, no, no, precisely. <laughs> no. Uh, did I um, did I mention... Last time I was on, did I mention Odmar? Odmar. Odmar. Spell it. O-double-D-M-A-R. I'm not sure. It's a game, um, and uh, I've just finished playing it. Uh, and it's got—it's one of these games that's got really, really nice graphics. Do you know what I mean? It's just—it—it's really pleasing graphics all the way through it. Uh, and it's a platformer. Uh, Odmar is a little Viking. Uh, who who runs through this? Uh, and it's a puzzle game as well. So you have to do things in certain ways and certain orders. And there's a boss at the end of each level, and, and it's that kind of thing. But it, it's the graphics that I really like. Um, so just a recommendation from me. It's Oddmart. I'm trying to think who it's published by. Um, it was just on their website. Uh, and I was going to say, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to iTunes. What does it tell me? Oddmart by Mobgi. I believe they pronounced that. Oh, that's, um, that's yes. Or yes. iOS. I mean, you can see if you go onto the onto their website, mm. um, the Oddmar game. You can see the sort of graphics that are. I mean, uh, th those aren't actual. The ones on on this page aren't actual graphics, but they're pretty close to what um, what it's really are. like. Oh, actually, you've got some screenshots further down. Yeah, there are some screenshots further. Yeah. I mean, we got here. Oddmar yeah. is the Apple Design Award 2018 winner. Well, there you go. I've had it for quite a while and, and got stuck on part of it because I'm not a particularly good gamer. And uh, I went back to it recently and managed to solve that bit and then sort of played it through to the end of the game. And it's good fun. Good fun for those, you know, if, if, if you appreciate some really good graphics and uh, a, a fairly decent um, uh, puzzle-solving uh, gameplay, then, uh, then give it a try. There we go. So I will put that link in there. Um, Oddmar. Cool. Lovely. Yes, looks good. Um, picks for the week, as it were, were Stop the News, uh, Be Light Amadine, and uh, Oddmar from you there. Right. I think we've probably done enough. Uh, Indeed. I think it's time we wrapped up. So, uh, Nick, would you like to do your very short wrap up? 
<laughs> Indeed. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter very occasionally, and I am Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. And, of course, you are in the Slack room and occasionally on Bart's show. Indeed. Uh, okay, Donny, would you like to do your rather longer... I was going to say, do we have another half hour to the show? <laughs> Listen, based um, on the based on the last uh, couple, we've got as long as it takes. Or you can just give me my own my own uh, <laughs> show. Um, you could well, please it, Donny. R T T E A C H R on Twitter. Um, my books and sticker apps. You can just look me up in the respective iOS stores. And I've started a new project with a family member called Two Fun Dads. Dot com and we're talking about um doing a blog with stuff fun stuff to do with your family some of it's local to our area but a lot of it's generalized and um designed a bunch of t-shirt designs and other stuff you can get on uh various coffee mugs stickers stuff like that there's a store link on the site but um i did make a two fun dads ios sticker pack which is totally free and it will be in the show notes and if we could get as many people to download that as possible it would be awesome we could somehow get it into the top 200 with um, Apple and get some attention, that would be great. So anyone out there can just go download it for free, delete it after you download it if you want, but um, we would appreciate it. And uh, the rest of the stuff Simon will have in the show notes. Yeah. So like I I you've got um, there's uh, scribbly.com, which is S-K-R-B-L-Y, uh, hedgehogalley.com, and uh, you're also on designbundles.net. So there we go. Uh, that's Donny spreading his artwork far and wide. Global domination not far behind. <laughs> no, I'd say I'd say very far behind. <laughs> right. Well, I am, of course, on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Uh, the show is at Essential Apple. All the stuff is on the EssentialApple.com. Com, and that's probably about it. Thank you to all the slackers. Uh, thank you for the people who support us with Patreon or Pinecast tips or otherwise. And uh, I think that's enough. So we'll all say goodbye now. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website EssentialApple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even, if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I've forgotten. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Hey, podcast fans. If you like listening to tech podcasts, check out the Three Geeky Ladies. Elisa, Suze, and Vicky provide a female perspective on Apple and other tech products. You can find the podcast on iTunes and their website, 
www3geekyladies.com with the number 3 spelled out. Happy listening. Essential Apple Podcast. Goodbye and thank you for listening.